Listening on a higher dimension. Seventh Wave Network. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Hello, and welcome to Authentic Living, sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. And I'm your host, Andrea Matthews. We've been exploring with some of the spiritual giants of today what it means to wake up to the authentic self and to live authentically. This show intends to invite you, the listener, into your own authenticity through an understanding of what it is and how to get there. And for that purpose today, we're having a conversation with Joan Borosinko on the topic of spiritual guidance. Dr. Joan Borosinko has been named by Dr. Wayne Dyer as the smartest woman he's ever known. And if you simply consider the fact that she has a doctoral degree with three postdoctoral degrees, all from Harvard, you'd have to be convinced that perhaps Dr. Dyer is right. But there's even more. Her studies of medicine, cancer cell biology, psychology, and psychoneuroimmunology have led her to become one of the world's leaders in integrative medicine and a foundational leader in the study of meaning and spirituality as a component of health and healing. And, of course, it doesn't stop there. Dr. Joan, as she is warmly called, is also the co-founder of two different mind-body sciences organizations and has most recently partnered with her husband, Gordon Dveren, in founding the Claritas Institute for Spiritual Inquiry. She's the author of several video and audio programs and of 13 books, including the bestseller, Minding the Body, Mending the Mind, and the book upon which we will focus our attention today, Your Soul's Compass, What is Spiritual Guidance? We're going to have a conversation with Joan Borisenko today to help you, our listeners, understand the real how-to of spiritual guidance. Welcome, Joan, and thank you so much for talking with us today. You're very welcome. I'm thrilled to be here. And as you talk about authenticity, already all kinds of images were arising in me and the recognition of how important authenticity is for spiritual guidance because you're really guided to bring forth the gifts that only you have as a unique expression of that divine energy. And in order to do that, you have to be receptive to the truth that you have an authentic self that's more than, you know, your wants, your desires, your labels, what your mother told you, and get to that deeper place within yourself. And then, oh, can we change the world from that place, Andrea? Absolutely. And you said in your book that spiritual guidance actually begins first with the question, who am I? That's right. So that means anybody that's willing to ask and answer that question can learn the art of spiritual guidance. It's not just meant for the mystics and gurus and great teachers of the world. That's right. It's meant for all of us. And it's interesting today that you should uh, right away talk about who am I because we have a house guest by the name of Robin Kasarjian. And Robin started something called the Lionheart Foundation, which is a national emotional literacy project for prisoners. In her book for prisoners, Houses of Healing is in every federal and state prison in the United States. And so many prisoners have taken the program, have changed, and then 
she expanded it to Youth at Risk, and there's another book called Power Source for Youth at Risk, and then it expanded backwards in the chain of violence um, all the way back to mostly teenage mothers of kids at risk. And what Robin teaches really is the answer to that question, who am I? Once you realize, you know, there's something, there's something deeper in there than the mistakes you've made or the ways you've been abused as a child or what society labels you as. And once you touch that kind of inner center uh, and develop, you know, an appreciation for yourself, then from there you can take responsibility for your life, quit blaming other people, uh, and bring something good into the world. So it all is based on who am I? And we were just sitting and watching a video clip from the Lionheart Foundation materials of prisoners sitting there and talking about their experience of asking that question, who am I? So <laughs> it's not just for mystics or, or for people who've had a lot of privileges. It's a question all of us have to ask in our lives. That's right, and it does get you to the core of sort of why you're here. While you were talking, I had this image of that uh, old uh, New Testament story of Jesus walking down the street and the woman who had a hemorrhage uh, touching the hem of his garment, and I feel like that's kind of what we do the very first time we reach in there and touch something that's very authentic. We sort of touch the hem of that yeah. garment. And we touch the hem of that garment, some vision larger than the small vision we hold for ourselves has a chance to get into us, and we realize maybe I'm not just this separate person all alone with my frustrations, with my difficulties, with my limitations, but just maybe I'm part of something so much larger and more magnificent. And, you know, without, some people like the word God, it bothers other people, you know, some right. people like the idea of source of our being, but the thought, maybe I'm part of something larger, some infinite potential, some God, maybe I am truly the eyes and the ears and the hands and the feet of this. And it's up to me to make the world a better place. And because I'm more than just this body or more than just my history, that's possible. And how that's possible is what guidance is all about. What is it that guides us to bring forth the unique gifts that only we have to give for this world? Right, and that, that is the core question we're talking about today. In the introduction of your uh, soul's compass, you speak of a beautiful Sufi story called the Hymn of the Pearl. Yes. Can you tell that wonderful story here for our listeners and explain sure, how it relates? It's a great story. It's a, it's a story that supposedly took place, you know, maybe 3,000 years ago, uh, but it's an archetypal story. We all enact it in our own lives. And let's put it this way. Once upon a time, it was a great king and a great queen, the queen of the east, the queen of the dawn, the king of this great kingdom in the Middle East. And their kingdom was beautiful. People were respected. There was enough of everything. It was just the kind of place where we'd all like to live. And when their son, the prince, came of age, they sent him essentially on a vision quest to find his authentic self so that he would, too, grow up to be a, a true, wise, and compassionate a ruler. And what happened was this. You know, they kind of got him all ready and 
gave him gave him bags with everything he needed, and they sent him to Egypt. And they said, "Look, you have to. Here's your vision quest. Here's the hero's journey for you. You have to find a lake, and in it there's a dragon, a big fire-breathing dragon." And hard by the dragon, right next to the dragon, is a pearl of great price. And it's up to you to bring back the pearl, vanquish the dragon and bring back the pearl. So he sets off to do this, but it's a long trek to Egypt, and he's tired, and he's hungry, and he uses up his food, and his clothes are in tatters. When he gets there, the Egyptians are so good to him. They give him new clothing, they give him work, they give him food, and pretty soon he forgets who he is, and he just thinks he's an Egyptian, like all the other wonderful Egyptians that he's met, but he forgets about the dragon, he forgets about the pearl, he forgets who he is. But his parents are watching from afar, and that's the idea that there is some energy that watches us from afar and keeps us on our path, and they think, "Uh uh-oh, our son has forgotten, what will we do? So they write a magic letter that reminds him about the pearl, the dragon, who he is, what, why he's there. And the magic letter takes the form of an eagle, and it flies to him in Egypt. And when he sees the eagle and he hears the thrumming of its wings, something just suddenly wakes up in him, and he remembers who he is. And instantly he goes, he finds the lake, He sings to the dragon. He sings really the song of the dragon's soul. And the dragon becomes gentle and sleepy. And he's able to then pick up the pearl and head home and then take his place as a wise, compassionate leader. And when that was labeled, by the way, that's actually in the apocryphal gospel of of Thomas, that that story... That story is an ancient Gnostic story that has made its way through the literature. But we all go through that same journey. We forget who we are. And we all have some pearl of wisdom, some pearl of a great price that we need to bring back in our daily lives for the betterment, not only of our own lives, but for the betterment of the kingdom in which we live. That is, for the betterment of our family for the betterment of our friends, of our workplace, of our country, of our nation. And so that finding the authentic self and doing what only we can do, that's the heart of guidance. And the part of the story that I I really love, Andrea, is the thought that against all odds, (laughs) we're not in this by ourselves. There is some force of guidance, some force of wisdom or love that actually gives us feedback that helps us find our way and keeps us on the right track. Right, and that comes from the core of who we are. The interesting part of that story to me is that he sang the song to the dragon, and that makes me think of shadow material and how we have to sort of sing the song of our own soul to those parts of us that we've repressed and put away and thought of as bad and and, uh, those that decrease our self-esteem and all that. Can you speak a little bit more to that? I think that's so true because we don't get anywhere by um, self-deprecation, by telling ourselves that we're bad or that we're wrong. It's like trying to change the behavior of a child. You you hook up with the, the light in that child and you reinforce 
who they really are. That is, they are the light, not the lampshade. And because of that, that part of them shines more brightly. But if, you know, you identify the things that keep you back and say, oh, you know, I'm not smart and I'm not a good person or whatever it is, and then you try to beat that out of yourself, eventually what happens is that it just strengthens that part. And it's, it's what does you in. So the way we, we deal with the shadow is to acknowledge that, in fact, it's there, but it's always the repression of the light. So when we look and we say, well, I feel, I feel like I'm stupid, but instead of trying to beat ourselves out of that, look for a place where you have a particular kind of wisdom that nobody else has and develop that. I think the shadow is a great way to point you in the direction of your strengths. Right, and that's that's been one of my concerns with uh, so much of new thought. And we're so often being taught that we should discount emotions as attachments that drag us back to ego. Certainly we don't want to be dragged back to being controlled by the ego, but the problem with that for me is in that discounting emotions means that we suppress or repress them. Not only does that just build more shadow or unconscious material for us, but uh, it doesn't allow us the natural trial and error, the reflection and inquiry that you spoke of in your book. In fact, you think of something, uh, you speak of something called a felt sense that is a form of guidance. But if we're repressing feelings, we can't get to that felt sense. Well, that's exactly right. And what happens, you know, I, m- my own problem sometimes with some some of um, what people think of as as new age or new thought, um, and and much of new thought I totally agree with. But sometimes what you hear portrayed is there's a certain way to be. You always have to be in the light. You have to <laughs> think good thoughts, be a good person, and all of the rest of that, and. What happens is that spirituality is not about standing in the light, and it's not about accepting some set of tenets that anyone else gives you, no matter how wonderful they sound. In other words, it's not about answers, Andrea. I think real spirituality is about asking the questions, constantly inquiring, including about your emotions. You know, if I look inside me and I look right now for the felt sense, in other words, you know, we all can say, oh, I have butterflies in the stomach or my throat is tight and sometimes you feel peaceful and sometimes you feel anxious. That's kind of the felt sense. And I'd say my felt sense now is excitement. So what does that tell me? I'm glad to be on this show with you. It's the kind of thing that is my soul's purpose to do. If I felt another way, it might lead me in some other recognition and it's important because Spirituality unfolds moment by moment, always a fresh emergence. Right, and so that sort of gets you to the being in the moment so that you can experience that felt sense and be uh, aware, that self-awareness that can only come from being in the moment. We are talking today with Joan Boroshenko on the topic of spiritual guidance, and we'll be back in just a moment to talk some more. Be Extraordinary. Seventh Wave Network. Create a life with growth, balance, abundant peace of mind, and joy. 
Tune in and call into Spirits Evolving with pragmatic psychic and certified hypnotherapist Lee Channing by using the simple tools for growth offered by Lee, including intuition, color awareness, creative visualization, and more. Build a stronger understanding of your own energy and offer clear, unencumbered energy to those with whom you share your life, whether for an individual or a business, home environment, or your office. Lee evaluates and interacts with the energy at hand, providing an analysis of the problem and a description of the options available to move forward successfully and with grace. Spirits Evolving with Lee Channing broadcast each Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern on the 7th Wave Network, your online community for positive change. Spirits Evolving, your guide toward a life filled with more balance, intention, and contentment. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T. with a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earn my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit AIHT.edu. All my love. Your online community for positive change. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We're back with Authentic Living, and I'm Andrea Matthews, your host, and we're continuing our conversation with Joan Borisenko on the topic of spiritual guidance. We've been talking about the felt sense and alignment with the true self, what I call the authentic self or the I am nature. So that really is the first step, Joan, in getting spiritual guidance. Is that correct? Yes, that is. It is, because you really need to know. How do I, how do I know anything? in my life if I'm not able to look inside myself. That's where the guidance is. And I find, you know, once, let me give you a nitty-gritty example. I was a scientist. I was teaching at, um, at uh, Tufts Medical School at the time, and I just had a grant renewed to do cancer research. And I just started to feel so anxious and miserable inside 
And instead of pushing that away and saying, oh, I need to be grateful, I have, the, I have all this grant money to do all this research, instead what I did was say, well, let me inquire into it. Let me sit there. Let me sit with the anxiety. Let me sit with the feeling in my body. And as I sat with it, what, what arose, you know, day after day, week after week of really noticing this and noticing my dreams was the sense, I'm not supposed to be doing this anymore. And that was very hard for my ego to take because if, you have, if you've completed five years in a doctoral program, then two years in a postdoctoral program, then gone up the academic ladder, you don't take lightly, I shouldn't be doing this anymore. Right. And my ego said, you have to be kidding. Uh, you, you can't leave this. This is what you have trained for. This is your identity. This is how people recognize you. What will you be without this? And then I had to do a discernment. What was that feeling of unease that led me to saying I should be doing something else? Was that the voice of the eagle, of the magic letter, of the nature of guidance that I'd gotten off track from my life purpose? Or was it, you know, was it something else? Because we're full of self-delusion, don't you think? Mm-hmm. We're full of complicated motives. So I sat with it again, and I kept sitting until every time I would consider what it would be like not to be a cancer cell biologist, what came up, first of all, was the anxiety, which I recognized um, there's a certain anxiety that comes from your ego, which says, oh, my God, how, how will I make a living? What will I do? But as the vision started to form of, at that time, going to work with Herbert Benson and learning to do research about meditation or forming a mind-body clinic, which is what I did, the vision that called me was bringing a tremendous sense of aliveness and excitement and inner peace and rightness. You know, we all know what that inner knowing feels like. And so I was able to follow the guidance out of one career into another. But I didn't do that lightly, that discernment piece of, you know, what's your ego? <laughs> what's, what's true guidance is not so easy. And it, it takes time uh, to really work with that. Right, and that's so important because so many people ask me the question, how do you know it's guidance? And I think one of the problems, and you've mentioned this in your book, is that so many are waiting for a lightning, lightning bolt epiphany with trumpet blast sounding or some kind of instantaneous transformation. But as we're waiting for that, we miss the vital connections that actually would guide us if we could only see them. So what you're talking about is that it, it is a journey of unfoldment. It's not... Um, something that happens instantaneously. Well, I mean, that's right. And there are moments on the journey, I think, when there is a trumpet blast. Sometimes, you know, you have to sit and laugh. It's like there's a convergence. Like right now I've suddenly got interested in um, uh, marketing who I am a little bit more, a little bit differently. So I had an intention. I hired a business coach. And I cannot tell you, in a week's time, it's like cosmic central casting has dropped people out of the universe. They appear on the doorstep wherever I go. Somebody gives me a piece of information that's vital. And that I say, well, this is convergence. I had an intention. I had a vision of defining who I am in 
in perhaps uh, a way that I haven't before that really gets to a deeper kernel. And because of that, I think intention, the intention to really live your vision brings guidance. It brings conversion. And sometimes then you do get these um, trumpet blasts from on high. But for the most part, life is kind of business as usual, and there's a lot to pay attention to. So when we wrote Your Soul's Compass, we, uh, as you know, because you've clearly read the book, Andrea, asked the various sages, 27 sages of different spiritual lineages, everybody from Sufis to Hindus to Buddhists to Catholic priests to shamans, you know, what is it? How do we receive guidance? And what they said essentially is you have to learn how to pay attention to everything exquisitely, uh, to be open, to let go of your sense of what you think you know. And therefore, uh, you know, if you don't have the blinders on of what you think you know, suddenly you begin to notice more all around you. So it's becoming very mindful, becoming attentive, becoming teachable, becoming guidable. And that is not about the moments of great convergence or hearing the trumpets. This is really an everyday training and being present. Right. So some of the let's talk about some of the blocks to that for just a minute. Yeah, I want to go back to two other books you've written, Minding the Body and Mending the Mind, and Guilt is the Teacher, Love is the Lesson. In both of those books, you talk about guilt as a block to healing in that it offers us an illusion of control. I find that so many of us are motivated to almost every action through guilt or its brother shame. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I think that that sort of becomes an identity. We, we, we respond to guilt as if it were the same thing as love. Can you talk to our listeners about guilt as one of the blocks to true spiritual guidance? Well, I can. And in fact, you know, guilt is the teacher, love is the lesson was the book that I wrote directly after Minding the Body, Mending the Mind. And uh, Minding the Body, that book, was really about a healing program that I had developed with colleagues at one of the Harvard teaching hospitals. And it was a 10-week program, and it had to do with learning how to meditate, managing your stress, learning new coping skills, becoming more mindful of your body through exercise, through nutrition, through yoga. And then it had a very big emotional literacy component, including forgiveness. And I asked myself, as the program went on for many years, why some people were able to really take the program and run with it and have tremendous transformations physically and mentally and why some people took the program and emerged pretty much unchanged. And I wanted to know, what's the difference? And what I noticed was that people who had a lot of guilt and shame, which they hung on to in terms of regrets and resentments, you know, in a way, guilt projected outwards is blaming somebody else. So I found that the regrets and the resentments were blocks to healing. And... In a certain way, Andrea, healing and spirituality, they tap into the same ground. They come from the same well. Many of, um, you know, many of the results of healing, for example, compassion, self-acceptance, the ability to relax, let go, stop resisting, be present, 
these are, are spiritual. Uh, if I had to describe what spirituality is, I would say, well, it's all of those things. So I'm not surprised that when we ask the sage about blocks to guidance, very often they would talk about, uh, you know, the ego, which in a way is, is lingo, but it's our identification of who we are in its most limited sense. And that's what, that's what guilt is when we identify ourselves as so limited that, you know, we hardly deserve to take up room on the planet or to breathe. And as a result of that, end up, for example, being a people pleaser, trying to please other people all the time. And if we don't, then feeling guilty. And right underneath that is, you know, it's the childhood fear. If we're not pleasing to our parents, um, you know, they'll put us out for the wolves to eat. Uh, How can you possibly be guidable when you have survival fear in your way? So that's why guilt blocks the ability to attend to guidance and then to act on it once you've gotten it. Yeah, it's... uh... You know, I come from the South where there's a cultural ethic to be nice. And we may talk about you behind your back, but we seem to get some kind of, and we do get, seem to get some kind of pleasure out of that, but we won't say what we're thinking or we defer to the other person and then we grumble later that we had to. So when I see a client in therapy and we talk about finding the authentic self, the biggest fear many have is that they're going to end up being perceived as selfish. It's very difficult for them to move past that sort of guilt, shame, identification to something that's more authentic. And uh, you speak about love and agape or unconditional love as one of the fruits of spirit that gives evidence of guidance in your book. And I want to talk some more about that after the break. Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance to expect guidance, to trust, and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T. with a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earn my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit AIHT.edu. All my love. Mom? Dad? How long should I wait for you? Mom? If I'm at soccer practice, what if something happens? Will you come get me? Should I stay where I am and wait for you? Or go to Grandma's house since it's closer? Shouldn't we pick a place for me? There's no reason not to have a plan in case of a terrorist attack. Mom, if you're not home, should we go to the neighbor's house? How do we keep in touch with each other if the phones don't work? Should I be worried how we all get home? And some extremely good reasons why you should. Can you tell me? Everybody should have a plan. 
Take five minutes to talk about where you'll meet and how you'll get in touch with each other in an emergency. For other things you can do to be prepared, visit www.ready.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and the Ad Council. The new home for visionary positive change. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Okay, we're back with Authentic Living. I'm Andrea Matthews, your host, and we're continuing our conversation with Joan Borisenko on spiritual guidance. So I talked just a minute ago before the break about uh, this whole thing of believing that uh, if we become authentic, we might be seen or we might become selfish as, a, as an aspect of that sort of guilt-shame identification. Can you tell us about uh, agape or unconditional love as one of the evidences of uh, spiritual guidance? Well, yes, because one of the questions we ask the sages essentially is, are there any kind of measuring tools like metrics uh, when you could say, well, this is, this is what I got, this is the direction I think I'm supposed to go in, this is my vision. How can you tell that that's guidance? And <laughs> by the way, one of our sages, Reb Zalman Shachter Shalomi, a wonderful rabbi, said, well, if you can tell me how to tell the difference between my ego and guidance, I'll become your disciple. So <laughs> what he meant was this is not so easy to do. There are no ten foolproof steps to knowing that you're guided. What you have to do is learn to pay attention to certain indicators. And let me give you a few of those. One of them you mentioned, which is the agape, that loving kindness. So some of the sages, for example, those from the Christian tradition, immediately pointed to a letter of St. Paul to the Galatians in which he described the fruits of the Spirit. And so how do you know what's at work? Is it spirit or is it something lesser? Well, the idea is, if it's spirit at work, its fruits ought to be good. And the fruits of true guidance, then, are the nine fruits of the spirit, are things like peace, loving kindness, uh, um, you know, compassion, patience, things of that nature. And so let me give you an example. Oftentimes, I will kind of get an idea that, well, this is the direction I should do, or I should do this project, or I need to be with this person. And truthfully, Andrea, I get an idea a moment. I'm a creative person. My mind, I'm always getting all kinds of ideas, but which to follow. One thing I learned from the sages and from the fruits of the Spirit is that if I feel impatient, if I get the idea, I have to make this happen by tomorrow, I have to jump right on the bandwagon, 
that's almost always an indication that it's something else at work. It's not spirit. It's like maybe, oh, I think that person needs more work and my codependent self is trying to jump in to save them. Or, you know, I think, oh, gee, if I did that, then people would think better of me. So what I do, if there's haste involved, is I just say maybe, let it wait. The Quakers, we interviewed four Quaker sages, they said, let it season, let it simmer. Is it still a good idea tomorrow? Is it a good idea next week? Is it a good idea next month? And that's a very important thing. And then the the real question, uh, the deepest question is, is there love in it? Really takes a lot of thought because the question is, what is real love? There are many of us who would say, well, pleasing somebody else is a loving thing to do. But I would say it's, it's often not the loving thing to do. Uh, it may be a people-pleasing thing to do. Where you're stepping outside your own deepest sense of self into a part of you that is getting its worth from other people liking you. That's not love uh, at all. That's, a, you know, that's an old pattern of people-pleasing. And so when you do something truly out of love, it's because it is a reflection of your own deepest sense of self. And if it involves another person, it allows an expression of their deepest sense of self. So to, I mean, so it, it's quite a fascinating thing for your listeners just to sit and say, what is love? And so I thought about this as, as Gordon and I were writing your soul's compass I thought, I remember a little book by Anthony DeMello, who was, um, he, was born, he was born in India. He died in India. He was Indian. But he was a Jesuit. And very, very interesting, a great bridge between East and West. But DeMello wrote a little book at the end of his life called The Way to Love. And it's a number of short chapters that really stimulate you to ask that big question, what is love? Because truly, guidance is all about following the vector of love, wherever you are, to say, what increases love? If I make this choice, does it increase love? And often, here's the difficult part, which you know as a therapist so well, maybe what increases love is to tell a certain person that you can no longer work with them or you you know you can't be a friend in the same way that you were before because you've realized the way that you're being with them is somehow intrinsically limiting um that light within you from coming through so this is this is a big deal when we say love is the final way to vet guidance how do we understand love Absolutely, and your examples are so clear. I so appreciate you being uh, so clear with our audience so that it's easy to see what you're talking about in terms of living out the daily experience. You know, I think of love when, from the Christian tradition. We quote 1 Corinthians 13 about the definition of love, and so often we compare the way we give to others based upon that definition but I, I think it goes a little deeper than that. I think that's the love we receive 
or recognize as part of the divine nature before, maybe not even before is not the right word, but just as a part of the flow of energy that we also give to other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a, it's a beautiful reading from um, Corinthians 13. It is. It yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And if you if you read Corinthians and then read Galatians, it helps you also to really sit with and inquire more deeply on these fruits of the Spirit and how they're related to love. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit more about the the, uh, the aspect of action. We, we've talked about alignment. We've talked about some about discernment, and you gave some beautiful examples from your own life about that. Let's talk about action. I know one of the things you referenced a little while ago was this, the waiting out the instinct that Patricia Loring mentioned in your book, waiting out the rush to be in control, not acting in haste. Carl Jung would call that holding the tension. And he meant the same thing that you do by sitting with ourselves and listening to all the vying voices long enough to get clarity. Um, And you've said in your book that fear is one of the main reasons why we rush to act. Can you explain how fear makes us want to rush to action? Absolutely. Look at all the people now who've lost their jobs uh, or they're in danger of their home being foreclosed on. And the the need to survive trumps everything, doesn't it? When you say, okay, I've got six job applications in, and someone calls up and they say, well, you can have the job that you interviewed for, but in your heart of hearts, you know that this is not a job that you want to stay with. It's not something that feels like a good fit for you. But there's so much fear that the other five interviews won't pan out and you won't be able to pay your mortgage and your home will become foreclosed on, that you act right away out of fear. And that is fear Fear at its basic comes from survival needs. So what we need to be able to do is to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do I really have to do this at this moment? <laughs> Can I say maybe? And you know, I'm not using that as an example. There may be some some of your listeners who are in that position, and sometimes the wisest thing in a position like that, well, you can get a job, take it, and you can you can look around a little bit later. But often we're in a position where there really doesn't need to be that kind of rush and hurry, and we can sit with something and and let it season longer. So, for example. I have a friend, and she was in a rush to get married. It was, it was a very interesting thing. She met a person, and everyone was, was it's, it's a funny thing because it's hard to say to a girlfriend, what are you thinking, that's the wrong guy. But I think she could tell from people's responses. But in a way that made her more afraid, she was so afraid that she was going to end up alone that instead of just, you know, being with him and seeing how it felt over the long run to have a relationship, she wanted to tie it up prematurely and just get married so he wouldn't get away. And it turned out to be a terrible relationship and a very, very difficult divorce. And I think we like to do that in our culture. We like to come to premature closure because that way we can know what we think the outcome will be and we can we think we can eradicate fear of the unknown and 
We can't. We live in uncertainty. We live in the unknown. Life is a mystery. We need to get used to it. Right, and that discomfort with uncertainty is one of the primary issues that sort of unsettles us to the point of feeling not really grounded so that we seem to not be able to really hear or see or observe the guidance we're getting. Exactly. Okay. You've been listening to a conversation with Joan Borisenko on the topic of spiritual guidance, and we'll be back in just a moment to talk some more. Listening on a Higher Dimension, 7th Wave Network. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology. A-I-H-T. With a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earn my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit AIHT.edu. All my love. Fiction seeping into reality. Reality transfigured by fiction. A monument of wonders. Conspire with host and creator Roy Dean Doty as he shares readings, commentary, music, and interviews on the multimedia epic that'll change the way you think forever. A Monument of Wonders, a place where time is a honeycomb, where language spawns the fantastic, where consciousness is exploded, one inspired mind at a time. Escape the stricture of the soundbite film clip world. Enter a monument of wonders. Wonder is miracle. Wonder is life. Wonder is power. Fridays, 11 a.m. to noon Pacific Time on the 7th Wave. Are you in? Awakened Media for a Transforming World. 7th Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We're back with Authentic Living, and I'm Andrea Matthews, your host, and we're continuing our conversation with Joan Borsenko on the subject of spiritual guidance. Joan, we've talked today about alignment with the authentic self as a real important part of 
spiritual guidance. We've also talked about discernment, and we've been talking about action. One of the things you talked about in your soul's compass was uh, with regard to the questions you were asking the wise sages. Um, you asked them what, what was the possibility that within each of us there was an ever-growing evolutionary force that through experience is bringing us to our fulfillment, similarly to the way an acorn becomes an oak tree. You referred to this as a kind of spiritual seed or spiritual DNA. Can you explain this to us? Because I think it's so important to understanding how it is that we align with the true self. Well, you know, this this was an important question. In a way, we're asking the sages, what is it to be most fully human? You know, if we were to look at uh, the most noble human being, what would that be and how do we how do we grow into that? And then also, you know, there was another question that that really expanded on that, and that is in terms of being a species, a human species, are we evolving? What are we evolving to? And some of the sages were very interesting. For example, Father Thomas Keating, who is well known because he's really brought meditation back into the Christian tradition, really picked up on the work of um, Thomas Merton. He said, you know, there is within us a, a spiritual DNA, and what we're growing up into is, is the divine selves that is the potential within us. And more than that, the divine self is growing itself through us. So we're looking at a complementary thing. Uh, you know, in shorthand, I might say God is growing us and we are growing God. That, and the, the Sufis talk about this too. There's a, a piece, there's something called the Hadith in the Islamic tradition. And it's, the, it's about the life and the sayings of Muhammad. And one of the lines in the Hadith, um, and this is a, a clumsy paraphrase on my part, but that God is a hidden treasure desiring to be known so that he created the earth and all of its creatures so that he could be known. And so there's this idea there's a, a God or a divine consciousness of which we are clearly a part, and yet we reflect something back to that divine consciousness. So it's a two-way street. Uh, it's an expansion. And you talk to Keating, and what he says is, well, you know, the theologists, of course, want to preserve a, a separation between divinity and between humanity, who we are. And so one has to be very careful with languaging. But are we not, in fact, divinity itself, knowing itself and growing itself? And at a certain point, there's a moment of aha, a moment of recognition. And I guess if you were a Buddhist, you would say, oh, that's a moment of enlightenment. Uh, there's you know, different terminology for this. To me, it's a moment of becoming fully human, of suddenly settling in, being totally comfortable in my own skin and yet simultaneously realizing I'm not just what's in my skin, really sensing in a way that's totally real that I am part of a larger whole and that that wholeness, we talked about love, Andrea, the felt sense of that wholeness is such an exquisite, an exquisite sense of love 
that for me, the nobility of being human is to know at moments I have glimpses of that, but that it is possible for me to attempt at least, to intend to live my life in a way that that love can flow through me and inform my relationships and my work in the world. And we we got that kind of a sense from many of the sages from different traditions, that that's our spiritual DNA. We're growing into the divine one, into a recognition of it, because we already are it. And what do you say to people whose spiritual guidance is sort of threatened by that idea that we're one with the divine? That it's a, it's a matter of language. And here's the, you know, here's the, the fascinating part of your soul's compass for me. It was meant as a conversation in what we call inter-spirituality. And let me define that term. Uh, and first we have to look at what is interface. And interface is to say, well, here's how I connect with the divine. This is my language for it. These are my rituals. These are my customs. And we learn to compare those and learn to have respect for all these different ways. Interspiritual is different. If interfaith is, if every faith was a flower, a beautiful different flower of a different color, interspirituality would be the common groundwater that fed all of the flowers. And so a true mystic or sage from any tradition, whether you're talking about somebody who is a Sufi or somebody who is a Jew or someone who's a Christian or someone who's a shaman, uh, a mystic, and that is somebody who's had the direct experience of the divine, they would all describe the groundwater as exactly the same. It's only when the flowers come to the surface that we have differences based on language. And so this is my challenge. The language is so different for these different traditions that oftentimes we end up discounting one another or arguing with one another. And I truly don't know the answer to whether there is some common language of the soul that would kind of remove these linguistic disturbances that... Part of what I enjoyed particularly about two of our sages, and that was Father Thomas Keating, and another was a Theravadan Buddhist uh, monk whose name is Ajahn Sona, is that they both spoke a great deal about language. Uh, For example, grace is the language of Christianity, but there is no grace in Theravadan Buddhism. It's all a matter of merit. As he said, you plant an apple seed, you always get an apple tree. You never get a cherry tree. And it's cause and effect. You put in skillful means, you get a skillful effect. There's no grace that, you know, helps you pass the exam. You've got to study for it. And then he would come later to say, but, you know, if you look at this, within a Christian framework, we're, we're actually talking about something similar with different languaging. And both of them We're trying to do that, to look for a common language. So what I would say is the external language doesn't matter. Can we meet in the place beyond language, in that place of the heart, where we we all know most deeply who we are, and we all know that love is probably the most primary expression of it. 
Right, and that was so beautifully said. I think that that whole idea of language is is part of the issue. When we get to logos, we we lose the spirit sometimes, and I, uh, that's what Jesus was referring to when he talked about uh, the spirit of the law. Uh, I think that 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 promise of unity between for us all as humans comes down to that recognition of another human being as on a journey, just on their own. Yes, that's right. And to continually seek the light inside one another was, I think, Gerald Jampolsky who made that distinction. You can look for the light or look for the lampshade. Lampshades are awfully easy to see in ourselves or others. But when we look for what is most primal, what's most beautiful, the light in others, we can change ourselves and the world. Absolutely. We've been talking today with Joan Borisinko on the topic of spiritual guidance. Thank you so much, Joan, for talking with me and with our listeners today. You've been so helpful. Thank you for having me as your guest. I loved it. Good. And you've been listening to Authentic Living, sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. I'm your host, Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, when we'll be talking to David Ord on the topic of your forgotten self. Bye now, and don't forget, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.